This is Unfilter, episode 64 for August 21st, 2013. And meanwhile, this big story today, new details on the NSA surveillance program and reports that it is even more widespread than first thought. The Wall Street Journal on the front page today says that the NSA can spy on 75% of all U.S. Internet traffic. Morning, everybody. Boy, we got a jam-packed show today. Good to have you with us. I'm Martha McCallum in America's Newsroom. And I'm Greg Jardin for Bill Hemmer. 75% of all web traffic. That is an enormous number when you think about it. And while it is supposed to only track foreigners, Wall Street Journal revealing that the NSA sometimes keeps emails sent by U.S. citizens. On this week's episode of Unfiltered, declassified documents today reveal the NSA has intentionally abused their surveillance programs and retained data on U.S. citizens despite a court order. All of this as more details emerge about how the NSA collects nearly 75% of all traffic in the U.S. David Miranda, Glenn Greenwald's partner, was held for nine hours under an Orwellian anti-terrorism law. They confiscated his equipment, questioned him about the Guardian's reporting on the Snowden leaks, and more. Plus, we'll follow the money in Egypt, your feedback, and much, much more on this week's episode of Unfiltered. From the Jupiter Broadcasting Late Breaking News Center, my name is Chase Nunes, and welcome again to another edition of Unfilter, the show about the news that you really shouldn't be watching. And now joining us with 75% redacted words, Chris Fisher. Hey there, I am here. Sorry, redaction doesn't work so well over audio, does it? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Oh, man. Great. (laughs) <laughs> Great day. We got a Bing show today, Chase. Wait, a Bing show. No, no. You know, I prefer an Alta Vista kind of show. <laughs> I said that earlier and like, oh, what? Bing is sponsoring? No. No. No, I just used the Bing search engine for a story today. And no. all of a sudden I it's, was labeled. It's a lot of fun. You know, when I go into announcer mode, people think that I'm really not here, that I'm artificial and I'm more of a robot. You're just in the booth. I'm in the booth. I'm yeah, out we, of the booth now. Yeah, step. So that's kind of. So we do this weird juggle. Uh, Chase st- steps into the announcer booth and then has to kind of step down while I'm saying my intro. And I have to put my pants on in that process. I don't know why you do that. No, that's it's not just, my rule. I have no idea. So uh, we there is so many things we have to cover today, and we just had a great uh, supporter show intro. Tons of good stuff in there. Uh, I think one of the things that had our subreddit on fire this week was the uh, situation around Grant, Glenn Greenwald's partner. Yeah, uh, the twenty-year-old uh, who. Uh, David Miranda, who was uh, held. Held for the world record of nine hours. (laughs) (laughs) The world record. I like that. You know, I think that that deserves a ding. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that is. That was. It was the world record because like what? On average, it's like two hours. Well, actually, the majority of them, the majority of them are under an hour. Yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're checked. They're strip searched. They're they're fondled. And then they're released. uh, And what's crazy is this thing is like this. uh, This this terrorism law is is meant to. uh, 
to figure out if someone is is involved in terrorist activities and to hold them there and it, you know the, and it just the whole thing sounded very suspicious. Yeah. So why don't we start there? What do you say? And then that'll kind of segue into some of the NSA Let's stuff. Get on a plane and jump across the pond, shall we? It's been a frustrating journey for the man caught in the latest twist of the Edward Snowden saga. Yeah. Back in Brazil, <laughs> David Miranda was met by his partner, Guardian journalist Glenn Greenwald, and spoke of his nearly nine-hour detention at Heathrow Airport. I stayed in a room with three different agents that were entering and exiting. They spoke to me, asking me questions about my whole life. They took my computer, my video game, cell phone, everything. I think he means like a Game Boy or something. That's a drag. Oh, man, they took his DS? Greenwald, the journalist who broke the story of NSA leaker Edward Snowden, calls his partner's detention an act of intimidation. But he says it won't stop him publishing more potentially damaging Snowden leaks. I will be far more aggressive in my reporting now. I'm going to publish many more documents. I'm going to publish things on England, too. I have many documents on England's spy system. Miranda, it seems, had been ferrying materials from Greenwald, with whom he lives in Brazil, to a U.S. filmmaker based in Berlin. Highly sensitive information, most likely documents from Edward Snowden, that the British were keen to intercept. Human rights groups are calling his detention an abuse of anti-terrorism laws. British police say it was legally and procedurally correct. <laughs> of course. CNN has also learned that the British Prime Minister's office was kept abreast of the nine-hour detention, as was the White House. Britain and the United States, it seems, are working hand-in-hand. Hand. Matthew Chance, CNN London. Isn't that lovely working hand-in-hand? Oh. Hand? So think about that. Both top levels of the government were kept apprised, which makes you think that's where the strings, of course, are being pulled from. Of course. Now, that quote in there where Greenwald says, you know, I'm going to double down on my reporting. I've got stuff about the UK. Yeah. That blew up. Uh, we played in the pre-show a clip of Fox News just trashing him over it. Lots of people on all sides of the aisle really going after uh, Truly unbiased coverage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I love. Too bad your your face was so sincere when you said it too. Like it was like that was the topper. Uh, so, uh, but Anderson Cooper had you know uh, CIA asset. Anderson Cooper keeping him honest had just, just don't play that clip. I, okay. Uh, oh. Just don't do Can it. Can I please just once? Uh, what if I just do it now and I won't do it for the rest of the show? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. It's Anderson Cooper, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it is. A, we are about to play Anderson Cooper. So uh, he said uh, when you were mentioning going out and publishing more about uh, the UK spying and, and about the US government, were you going to do that out of revenge? You know, what what was your motivation there? So he, right. he gives Greenwald a chance to sort of respond to that. Glenn, I saw a quote from you saying that you would be, quote, more aggressive, not less, in reporting on England. Some headlines seem to indicate you were going to be acting out of revenge. Uh, is that accurate? It's completely inaccurate, Anderson. I was asked whether or not the detention of David would deter my reporting and what I thought the outcome would be for the UK government. And what I said was that if they think they're going to deter me in any way from this threatening behavior, they're, they're deluded. It's going to have the opposite effect on me. It's going to embolden me. And the reason it's going to embolden me is because when I see that governments abuse their power, as the UK government did, 
I realize that they need even more transparency and more accountability. It makes me want to work harder. It makes me want to work faster to inform the world about what it is that they're doing. And when I said I thought they would, were, were going to come to regret it, it wasn't because I was going to publish that of vengeance. It was because I knew what they had done was extremely counterproductive to their own interest. And, and as far as legal action goes, your lawyer seems to be indicating that, that you're planning something. Can you, can you say what? You know what? I... I kind of think he was saying that of yeah. anger. And I would be really angry, too, if my wife had gotten held for nine hours under a terrorism act yeah. and I had massive secrets about the people doing it. I'd be pretty tempted to say something. That said, a lot of times, I, you know, since this whole thing has gone down 10 weeks ago, there's been a few circumstances where Greenwald has opened his mouth and said something dumb. And this was dumb. I mean, people have trashed him over this. Anyways, continuing on. They're looking at taking some legal action. Sure. Um, the, the, the lawyers in the UK on, on behalf of David have filed a lawsuit. And what they're essentially seeking right now is a declaration from the British court that what the British authorities did is illegal um, because the only thing they're allowed to detain and question people over is investigations relating to terrorism. And they had nothing to do with terrorism. They went well beyond the scope of the law. And secondly, to order them to return all of the items they stole from David um, and to order that they are barred from using them in any way or sharing them with anybody else. That's an interesting little aspect of it. So uh, they, uh, they specifically want them to say, yeah, what we did was illegal. Right. And you got to figure if they get them to admit that, then there's some further action that takes place. But the other thing they want is they want to make sure that that stuff is locked down, that they can't show it to anyone, which I thought was really interesting, too. Um, and I'm not even clear why they would want that. Uh, we'll see, though. So he was, uh, he was, uh, he was, um, it was considered the Schedule 7 of the Terrorism Act of 2000 that he was held under. And uh, more than two months after documents leaked by former contractor Edward Snowden first began appearing in the news media, the National Security Agency still doesn't know the full extent of what took, of what was taken. This is according to two community sources, and they say the agency is overwhelmed trying to assess the damages. So this, if you take that little statement, which is interesting, and you consider that this act does seem rather desperate, you you hold this guy for nine hours, the absolute maximum time you could under under the law, you take all of his equipment, this seems like they were, and you figured he was curing things, this seems specifically like a fishing expedition to figure out what he had to figure out what was taken. Like, they, they, they saw this as their opportunity to figure out uh, what files were there. Now, when you when you think of it in that regard, you kind of wonder if maybe it was Washington that actually ordered the grabbing of this guy. Right, which, you know, since we have such a close yeah, relationship, tight, right? I mean, that why, doesn't seem why crazy, wouldn't that really? happen? No, no, it's not really far-fetched. So Cooper, keeping him honest, CIS at Anderson Cooper, keeping him honest, asked him, you know, do you think it was Washington that ordered this? We're now in my exclusive interview with uh, reporter Glenn Greenwald and his spouse David Miranda, who was detained and questioned for nearly nine hours under Britain's anti-terrorism laws. Greenwald claims the real purpose was to intimidate him and other journalists, also in light of his stories on the National Security Agency, to retaliate. The question is, was the United States involved? Here's what Deputy Press Secretary Josh Ernest said when asked that question. There was a heads-up that was provided by the British government. Um, so this, again, this is something that we uh, had an indication was likely to occur. Did I mention last week in the show that Carney was looking really worn out? Did, you, did, I, did, did I say that? He's tired. This isn't Carney. He's gone. He's off. He's on vacation. Yeah. This is the stand and this is the deputy guy. And he's the guy that's come out there and say, yeah, they, they kept us apprised of the situation. Just like uh, they kept us apprised when we, we forced knew. the landing of. Yeah. But it's not something that we requested. Uh, and it's, uh, it's something that was done 
specifically by the by the by the British law enforcement officials there. So officially a heads up for Britain, but not a request from America. I asked Glenn Greenwald whether he buys that. Here's what he told me. I don't have evidence that the U.S. government ordered it, but I'm very disturbed that my own government was aware of this foreign country's intent to detain my partner and did nothing to discourage it or to protect the right of free press guaranteed in the First Amendment of the Constitution or did anything else to protect the rights that we both have as human beings and that I have as an American and and as a journalist. So whether the idea originated with, with the UK or with the US, clearly the US government was perfectly happy to see this happen. And David, when you stepped off the plane finally, when you got back to Brazil, what was that like? What was the feeling? I was a relief. I mean, I was in my country. I knew I, I was going to be protecting him because I was in my country. And I know that people here would be caring about what this, this situation. And I was going to see my husband and we'll be together. And I know he was going to take care of this whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, I bet he felt a lot better when he got home. Uh, and while all of this is going on at the, uh, well, around the same time that this is going on, it turns out that the Guardian has been having a back and forth with the British government about either returning the Snowden files or destroying the Snowden files. And they were threatened even with legal action if they didn't do this. Uh, they said that there's this, there's this, uh, UK law. It's, uh, it's, it's not like anything we have here in the States, uh, prior restraint. And under under this prior restraint law, they they could actually the British government could actually just shut them down as a publication. Just so not even just like end the story, but just shut them down. Wow. And uh, so that was you destroy the files. They're saying to the Guardian, or you give us the files, or we'll shut you down. And I I thought we'd just play a clip of that. Now, the editor of The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, says that the British government intimidated him in several meetings over the Edward Snowden saga and then gave him an ultimatum, either destroy all of the materials on the matter or shut down their publishing operations. Here's Rusbridger explaining why they decided to destroy the computer hard drives containing some of the secret files. I also explained to the UK officials we were dealing with, that there were other copies uh, already in America and Brazil. So they wouldn't be achieving anything. But once it was obvious that they would be going to law, uh, I would rather destroy the copy than hand it back to them or allow the courts to freeze our reporting. So they, uh, GCHQ officials show up at the Guardian's office and they stand there as Guardian employees destroy computers like laptops and servers that have the Snowden files and they've posted pictures of these online of these smash like there's a smashed smashed up MacBook Air and a smashed up motherboard and the GCHQ officials just sat there and uh, they, 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 they actually made like jokes at the situation like well your time for debate is over now and things like they, they said things that were like almost unbelievably Orwellian just in their statement like it was it's inc- it, I have it all linked in the show notes it's just wow. incredible it's it's creepy uh, so it, pretty intense stuff. And, and what does it accomplish, right? There are digital yeah. copies all over the place. Yeah. And uh, one thing that was interesting, uh, who well, knows? you know what it accomplishes, Chris. It's real simple. It's, it's a message? It, well, it's a message. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's the classic behavior of intimidation right. and striking fear into you. Hey, you better knock this off because if you don't knock it, this off, we're just going to detain you to the maximum allowed by law yeah. and we're just going to harass you. It's intimidation. It's, it's yeah, and, you know, it's scare tactics. If I am a media mogul and I have a media empire... Which you are, Chris. Right, yeah. I would, uh, I would look at this and go, it is not a good business plan to be anti-establishment. It is because it is 
there is a, a hostile government to anti-establishment media, and so I can't make a lot of money doing that. So I'm, I, you can see why why Fox and MSNBC and even CNN go so hard establishment because. Yeah. That is the model that they. That is the business model that they have to follow. Right. Um, but there was a new contender that launched this week. Al Jazeera launched, so of course. You Al Jazeera have, America taking over current TV. The only way to the only the only thing you could do is if maybe RT, which would be as awkward as Al Jazeera America, could then be commenting on the launch of Al Jazeera America and then just drag down the rest <laughs> of the mainstream media in the process. This afternoon, Al Jazeera America went live on the air. After spending $500 million to buy current TV, Al Jazeera America boasts a startup staff of about 900 people, including 400 newsroom staff. It will, right off the bat, reach roughly 48 million homes here in the United States. But access to viewers will be difficult as major carriers like Time Warner Cable, which dropped Al Jazeera America after it bought current TV, are reluctant to give airtime to a network based out of the Middle East. Now, those who can watch will see some familiar mainstream media faces like Soledad O'Brien, Mike Bicchiera, John Siegenthaler, and Ali Velshi. But and according Alan to the channel's from chief Seattle. executive, Ahab Al-Shahabi, the MSM alumni won't mean MSM-style news. I've, I've been following Al Jazeera's launch this week. I'm kind of unimpressed. First of all, they shut down the feeds to the regular Al Jazeera feed now. So if you come from the United States, they just say, sorry, you got to watch the American Al Jazeera. But American Al Jazeera is following the same game plan all the other news networks are. So they don't have a stream online unless you have a cable provider that provides them. VPN. So, yeah. And so it's this. It, and so far, they're like, oh, we're going to have this really different reporting. And it's like so far, the reporting's, mm, yeah. Okay. Quote. There will be less opinion, less yelling, and few celebrity sightings, he said. He claims that American viewers want a PBS-like news channel, and that's what Al Jazeera America will provide. But already the major networks are shrugging off their new competition. As a senior television news executive told the New York Times, Al Jazeera America will receive lower ratings than its predecessor, Current TV, which only had 24,000 viewers in prime time last month. But perhaps the best thing Al Jazeera America has going for it is the declining faith of the American people and its competitors in the mainstream news. Last month, MSNBC's ratings plunged to their lowest level since 2007. Ouch! And after Fox News' disastrous election night coverage and faith in so-called political experts who thought Romney would win the election, Fox News saw its ratings plummet at the beginning of the year, too. In January, Fox saw its lowest ratings since 2001. And as for CNN, well, as long as there aren't any high-profile murder trials, then no one is really watching CNN anyway. Bashir Gallup gave the largest indictment of the mainstream news networks, showing that in an all-time high of Americans, 60% have little or no trust in the media to accurately report the news. That right there gives me the most hope for the United States of America ever. If 60% of those surveyed said they don't have faith in it, at least that means they know they're getting lied to. And you know what? That also gives me hope for? The Unfiltered Show. That's right, for independent media. Me too. And discussion because people, what we do is we go and pull all the stories from everywhere and we just give you the straight truth. We We don't try to spin it. And sure, we, we have fun with it, but we don't try to spin it. I wouldn't even say we always get it 100%, but we always like we'll try to course correct. We don't have any reason to get it wrong. And unlike other shows that you might find, we don't filter the emails that are coming in. You right. know, if we've, we've read some very hostile emails. <laughs> if we get some dissenting views, we will put them on. Yeah, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so I, I want to take a second and uh, and thank you guys. Now, uh, Edmund mentioned last week in the Unfiltered subreddit, he's like, you know I've watched Chris for a long time, and one thing I don't really buy from you guys is when you say you go listener-supported, 
because you can't say something bad that might upset a sponsor. That's BS, because I know Chris would say something bad if he felt it was bad about the sponsor, and he's right. That's only one component of it, but it's all about it's, – it's actually – what it's really about is the business model of this show. So this show is going to always be rather controversial, just in its very nature. Tech stuff, things like that, not as controversial. Much right. better for advertising. Yeah. But if you look at the very systemic problems that face big media, the issue is they chase the number. And the number they chase is mass viewers because that's the number they sell to advertisers. Where the, the core difference in this type, this type of approach is the number that we chase is 300 and 33. Why 333? That gets us for one day of production cost for the unfiltered show. And actually, I'd like to expand it to two, and I'd like to even be able to kick Chase and I a little a profit from the show eventually at some point. So I'd love to go beyond that. But the number I need to chase is 333 people. I see what you did there. Chase, I, number hey, I need to chase. Nice. You get a ding for that. But you think about, oh, ding. do I? I get, I, get a, I get a ding myself. I need my own soundboard you, so I can you, just do dude, it. Dude, I said last week you should bring a bell. You should bring, you should go old school and get a bell up in ding. here. Ding. Uh, so if you think about the fact that I only have to chase 333 people, that that means the core focus of this show is every single week I sit down and I think, what can I do to make the people that support this show happier and keep them supporting this show? That is a totally different approach to crafting a new show than what is the thing I can do to get the absolute most attention? What what can I do to really get people to click on this week's episode of Unfilter? That is a mind game that you have to play that forces, even if it's silently, it's a silent hand that forces the editorial of the content. Trust me, I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm talking about. Listener-supported bypasses all of that. We focus on just making a great show. So if you go over to the show notes, click on the support button, and sign up for $5 a month. Now, here's a great reason to sign up, because next week, Chase and I won't have an episode of Unfiltered. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It's the No, every now and then we got to make room for packs. And uh, Wait, every now and then, every once a year. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. But if you're an unfiltered supporter, we're still going to have a supporter show for you. That's right. There'll be an email that goes out, it'll be uh, posted on the regular spot. Yeah. And uh, if you sign up this week, you can get that. You know, Chris and so I, main show. and the cast of Geek Gamer TV, and some special guests will be uh, covering. PAX, Penny Arcade Expo, and because a lot of you may or may not realize, Chris and I not only do this sh- uh, this show about politics and, and then the issues, but we're, we're also big gaming and, and tech geeks, so we cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. By the way, you could catch Chris's opinionated tech opinions. Oh, yeah. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. On the last uh, Geek Gamer Weekly you were on. And I got fired up about you Microsoft. Got, yeah, man, you were just railing. Yeah, well, you guys, that one particular topic is one that is, I've had an arrow and I have, I've had my quiver and I've not been able to shoot for a long time. So I was, I was, <laughs> you're, you're, I got out on the range and I fired that sucker. You, you were able to empty your load. Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> All over your show. Oh, um, God. So listen, uh, thank you. We now have, we are up to 162 monthly supporters for Unfilter. This Ding. This week, David P., Kim J., Jason T., Quentin B., Ben B., Alexander S., Joseph D., and Sean from T-Town. T-Town? We could maybe maybe uh, Sean from T-Town could join us at PAX and have a burger oh, or something. He could win a free pass. Oh, uh, so thanks. Yeah, he'll know about that now because he is a supporter and he will get the email where you talked about giving away a PAX pass. We're giving away PAX passes, but the only way you're going to find out about it is if you tune into the supporter show. There you go. So go sign up this week if you'd like to at least get something. We're going to do a clip uh, show for the un- uh, supporter show 
next week, so you'll still get something even though there won't be a main show. But we wanted to keep you supporters happy because we absolutely appreciate you guys keeping us going. So when you come, when you become an Unfiltered supporter, you're going to get that weekly newsletter after the show, a little behind-the-scenes info about the show. Yep. And then you also get the supporter show that has a bunch of extra clips. Honestly... I, I almost want you guys to sign up just because the supporter show has such good stuff in it that I, I want everybody to hear it. There's so much stuff that we wish we could include, uh, but it's just so long. Seriously. Yeah. Supporter show right now is clocking in at over an hour. Ding! Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, Chase. Well, uh, with that out of the way, you know what that means. It's now time to play Ask the Chat Room. We're going to have a question for you. And if you know the answer, you will get accolades beyond all the imaginations. Chris, what is today's question? All right, Chase. The question that goes out to the chat room today. What? three-letter agency of the United States government is in trouble this week. All right, so once again, Chris is asking the question, what three-letter agency is in trouble with the government? Hmm. We got we got some submissions coming in. All right, we sure do. Now, uh, Chase, I, yes, Chris. I, this is a hard one this week, real hard one, but you All just right. let me know when you want me to pull the slot machine. All right, we'll, well we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and go through it right now. Go ahead and pull the Here trigger. we go, here we go. What do you and, got? What do you got? Hemi serve. It says, is it PAX? No, it, oh. is, it is not PAX. We're going to pull PAX. it again, Chris. Okay, tell me when you're ready. Go for it. Droid Burgundy says, is it the NSA? <gasps> oh, guess what? Yes, congratulations. He got it. He got it. Yes, it yes. is the NSA, of course. In fact, uh, this week it came, it came out that the NSA, actually, just before we wrap, actually, I should back up even more. So we covered a few – grab last week's episode because something that yes. just fits in so perfectly after last week's episode is the news that, breaks, that broke Thursday or Friday of last week that uh, according to an internal NSA audit, the NSA has reportedly broken many privacy rules perhaps thousands of times. Welcome back to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper in National hey, News. Jake. Remember last Friday when President Obama held that news conference to offer a four-point plan for making NSA programs more transparent? He said something during the Q&A which had the benefit of being technically true for almost a whole week. <laughs> if you look at the reports, even the disclosures that Mr. Snowden's put forward, all the stories that have been written, uh, what you're not reading about is the government actually abusing these programs and uh, you know listening in on people's phone calls or inappropriately reading people's emails what you're hearing about is the prospect that these could be abused so just focus on what President Obama was talking about there he was talking about what we were hearing about these programs what we were reading about the government abusing these programs and yes it's true we weren't reading that until of course Last night, when the Washington Post's <laughs> Barton Gelman produced an internal audit and other top secret documents from that perpetual thorn in the side of U.S. intelligence, Edward Snowden. And contrary to what you just heard the president suggest last week, those documents show that the NSA broke privacy rules thousands of times a year. Gelman <laughs> writes, quote, the NSA audit obtained by the Post dated May 2012 counted 2,776 incidents in the preceding 12 months hmm. of unauthorized collection, storage, access to, or distribution of legally protected communications, unquote. Gelman adds that most of that was not intentional. Still, the infractions run across a spectrum from outright law-breaking to typos that wrongly led to phone and email intercepts on Americans and foreign targets in the U.S. Now, I actually think 
now this is informed not just by the clips we're going to play in today's show, but by overall monitoring a lot of the networks covering the story. I actually think there's a hidden story in here that they're trying to get you to come to on your on your own. Right. And then I, I'm going to maybe we'll ask the chat. Maybe I'll ask you. I'll see if you guys have picked up on it after we play a few more clips. Uh, so one of the key things is do you notice one of the things that Jake said there was most of the violations were not on purpose. Uh, it turns out. Some violations were on purpose, and they were even told not to do it by the FISA court, and they went on to continue to do it. In the audit, the NSA admitted improperly collecting records on Americans almost 2,800 times in the year ending March 30th, 2012. The NSA says most but not all of the unauthorized surveillance was unintentional and due to human error, such as typing mistakes. But most of those mistakes resulted in the collection of an American cell phone call, telephone record, Internet traffic or email. Not everything was a mistake. The NSA admits it kept more than 3,000 records on Americans that a secret federal court on surveillance called the FISA court had ordered the agency to destroy. So we don't... Well, we have oversight by the FISA court. We just don't listen to them. You know, that that's the, the inherent problem here. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, sure, we go through the proper channels. We we, we have checks and balances. We get we get a permission to do so. And then this what is happens? being watched out by the three levels of government. But then what happens is when they are making a mistake intentionally. Right. Uh, and last week we talked about... There's no punishment. We talked about how they would develop new surveillance systems and then not report it to the FISA court for months. And It's, it's like your little boy... Uh, back talking to you, not listening to you, and going, "Well, Angela, you know, uh, you know, our boys back talking, but we're not going to punish him." Yeah, and so they, and they lie to Congress. We've seen Clapper like, do it. We've all seen that. They lie to the FISA court under under oath. Under oath. Yeah. Now, what happens if you and I would lie under oath? We'd what be would smashed. happen? We would be crushed. We would be charged with a felony. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to let's we're going to parse uh, Barry's words here. So I want to I want to play exactly what he said. Now, to put this in context, Barry did this press conference, talked about uh, the reforms he was making to the NSA. And then after that, uh, there was a and a session. And uh, this is where the this this dialogue came up. All the stories that have been written. Uh, what you're not reading about is the government actually abusing these programs. No. And uh you know, listening in on people's phone calls or inappropriately reading people's emails. Now, what's so crazy about that, if you listen to it, I'm going to play it again. He's not saying it's not happening. That's not what he's saying. What President Obama is saying is what you're not being told about. All the stories that have been written. Uh, what you're not reading about is the well, government not, well, not actually abusing. What you're not reading about. Yeah. You, well, well, you're not. These programs. Saying, you're just ignoring and, it. Uh, you know, listening in on people's phone calls or inappropriately reading people's emails. What you're hearing about is the prospect that these could be abused. Now, part of the reason they're not abused is because these checks are in place. Oh, God. And those abuses would be against the law. Oh, that's true. But they, they shouldn't be. even be happening in the first the place, fact Mr. President. The fact that it is happening is the abuse. So now uh, Tapper, Jake Tapper, is talking with the Washington Post reporter who uh, said that uh, he comes on, he's the guy that broke the story for the Washington Post. He says, uh, President Obama's playing the word game because he actually knew that we were working on this report at the time of that press conference. We just played what the president said last week about NSA abuses when it comes to these surveillance programs. He says there are checks in place to prevent these abuses. Do you think the president knew about this audit when he made those comments? How do his remarks line up with your reporting of these thousands of incidents uh, of, of rules being broken. 
Well, he certainly knew what the figures were, whether he'd seen this particular audit or not, and his staff knew that I was getting uh, close to doing the story. Uh, I, I think I'd call attention to two other words than you did uh, in his statement, which is uh, inappropriately uh, reading people's emails and also abuse. He defines abuse apparently quite narrowly, which is, you know, someone stalking their ex-wife, someone, uh, you know, looking for a movie star. If, if the employee of the NSA is trying to do his, her job, makes mistakes or cuts some corners or does the other things that led to these things, that's not abuse as they see it. So from top to bottom, it's a word game. Yeah, it is. It's, well, we don't define abuse as that. No, the abuse is the mistakes themselves. And, and no one's recognizing that at all at the government level. They're saying, oh, we're not, we're not being mean about it. You know, oh, we're acknowledging it. It shouldn't be happening, period. Here's what I think. I think the messaging here, and I've already seen a comment in our subreddit that, it's, that makes me think it's sinking in. Right. The messaging here, it, okay. Do you remember last week the story was that Clapper was going to be in charge of the internal audit that's going to figure out if Right, yeah, like that's going to be so unbiased. Then the next week, all of a sudden, the Washington Post gets a leaked document of a prior audit that shows that they were punished, that they they did find violations. And nothing happened. Well, yes, but what it does show is that the internal auditing process, quote-unquote, must work. So now you've already got politicians saying, well, look, uh, King was out there. King himself was on, on CNN on the green screen, a horrible green screen job, the worst green screen job I've ever seen on national TV. <laughs> Representative King's there. And he's like, well, look, this is an example that these internal checks are fine because they found these violations and, and they, they reported them. And then they tell Congress and they, they inform Congress of all of these violations, right? That's what he said. They, Cong- all of this internal checks goes to Congress and then Congress gets to make the oversight decisions, right? Well, it turns out the reports that go to Congress are just total bullshit. They do report the aggregate numbers to Congress twice a year. And when you, when you try to get these reports under freedom of information, they have a headline, statistical data involving uh, compliance incidents, then everything else below that is blacked out, and then there's a characterization there were a small number of incidents. So they're not prepared to let us decide by reading ourselves uh, what, what's small and what's not. So they, they give them basically a redacted report that says the summary, though, is a small amount. Yeah. That's, but, what, that's what Congress gets for their oversight. But we're, but we're not going to tell you. We're not going to give you specifics. Right. We're not going to give you inside information. We're not – we're just going to so generalize it so much that – And then you got Feinstein and Rogers out there being the total sellouts, cheerleading this system and claiming to have total oversight, pretending that like they have the inside scoop on everything yeah. that's going on. Meanwhile, right. they're probably getting flat-footed on half this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that was just Friday. <laughs> then this. Hey, by the way, I, I should mention one more thing. Yeah, on Friday. On Friday. Why are these stories released on Friday? You ever well, think about yeah. that? No, it's yeah, because they want them to bury. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people. You got to realize something. When a major news story comes out on a Friday, this is intentional. This yep. is not yep. Yep. not like oh, we needed to get this in before the end of the week because they hope. By the time Monday rolls around, yeah. the major news media outlets have already forgotten about it, and the next major emergency or story has already come in. This is try to be buried over the they, weekend. They, this is intentional. I, you know what's interesting is so on, on Monday or Tuesday, uh, the Wall Street – so that was the Washington Post that ran that, that scoop. Yep. Then on Monday or Tuesday – and Washington Post claims they got all that info from, from the Snowden files. Don't know though – Monday or Tuesday, Wall Street Journal comes out and says – 
the NSA actually through telco partnerships has the ability to collect 75% of the U.S.'s internet traffic. Oh, well, at least I'm under the 25%. So on Monday, they had a whole news story. And meanwhile, this big story today, new details on the NSA surveillance program and reports that it is even more widespread than Ugh. first thought. The Wall Street Journal on the front page today says that the NSA can spy on 75% of all U.S. internet traffic. Ouch. And uh, the Wall Street Journal actually ran a little video on their website. They went into some detail with the reporter who, uh, who broke this. And uh, if you listen to this report, this goes back and I believe fully confirms the Gibson theory. I believe at this point, 10 episodes after we... Ar- the prism theory. When, we f- when the prism story first broke that week, we went on air and said, out of all of the theories out there, I like the Gibson theory. Yep, we said, this sounds the like best. the right one. Here we are 10 weeks later, right? 64, that was 54, I believe we said that in. Yep. And it looks like we have confirmation of the Gibson theory. There are a couple cuts at the data that you describe in the story. Tell us about those, how this is all caught. Exactly. So NSA will tell the the telecommunications companies, it'll give them certain parameters for where it thinks the information that it's looking for might be in all of these, uh, you know, this this sea of of data that's coursing through the the networks of these companies. They will take those parameters, find the streams of data that they uh, believe are most responsive to the, the NSA demand, and they hand NSA that stream of data NSA will then make, uh, you know, its its own. Um, it'll it'll do its own filtering of that data against what it calls strong selectors. So that could be an email address, or it could be broader. It could be uh, uh, inf- uh, data that points to a particular organization, uh, like a set of internet protocol addresses, and mm-hmm. it will pull the uh, the communications that are related to those things from the stream of data that it gets from the telecommunications company. There you go. Uh, she kind of went into a uh, vo- vocal uh, foil there, so I cut her off. Because that really bugs me when women talk like this. Wow, 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 monotone. They, yeah, they, they grill it like this as vocal fry. Uh, so <laughs> they get – what this tells me, to me, is looking back at this, history will see the telcos, I hope. I hope history views the telcos as collaborators in enabling a historical police state. Yeah. Because they have been without – the wonderful facilitation of these telcos, we would not be where we are today. So everyone, make sure you thank your local telco for helping them with this because they are literally... uh, Oh, 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 actually, it gets even worse. I just remembered. Um, So check this out. The telco companies that hand over the data, it's just like the lawyer at that telco company that decides, well, this should be, this should go or should not. Like in some cases, like it's just the lawyer. The NSA gathers and filters content through close collaboration with the nation's major telecom firms. In many cases, the telecom's lawyers act as the sole checks on whether data uh, reaches the NSA. In one example of government telecom collaboration, the Get ready for this. NSA oh, and FBI worked with Quest Communications to monitor communications around the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, Utah. All email and text communications in the Salt Lake City area were monitored for a period of about six months. Did you hear that? Oh, I thought they're not supposed to spy on Americans. I thought this is all non-domestic. I thought this was all international, Chris. And that was back in 2002 for the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. So all emails, text messages, and communications of every single person In the Salt Lake area. Yeah. Doesn't that make you feel good? 
And, you know, this is right. This is to stop terrorism, right, Chase? Yep, this is, this to, is stop, to stop right. terrorism. And what did we have happen two weeks ago? Because remember, Chris, you, if you have nothing to hide, you don't have anything to worry right. about. Right, and I'm not a terrorist, no, so you're I'm not worried. Chris, you know. <laughs> remember two weeks ago we had that worldwide terror alert, right? Yep, yep remember. And yeah. uh, it was sort of— We had to shut down embassies. I mean, it was a really— of them. Yeah, it was terrible. And, and I played that clip where uh, they said, you know, they've intercepted a communication, yep, right? yeah. Turns out uh, NSA interceptions had nothing to do with any of it. It was good old picking up a courier, like Osama bin Laden style. It's potentially a treasure trove of information from al-Qaeda. U.S. and Yemeni authorities have reportedly obtained a recording of a seven-hour Internet conference call between more than 20 al-Qaeda leaders from around the globe in what one intelligence official is calling the Legion of Doom meeting. The recordings were pulled off a captured al-Qaeda courier. Josh Rogan, senior correspondent for the Daily Beast, broke this story with Eli Lake. He joins me now. Josh, explain to me the significance of this recording. Right. So we all wondered why the embassies were shuttered about two weeks ago and what sparked this worldwide threat. Finally, my colleague Eli Lake and I were able to report out exactly what happened. Uh, the significance of the recording were that 20, more than 20 al-Qaeda representatives from all over the world had a seven-hour internet video teleconference, whatever you want to call it, and where they discussed a bunch of issues, including this eminent yet vague threat on U.S. interests that prompted the worldwide terror alert. Well, I, I don't know if this is sources and methods or if you don't know the exact details, but w what exactly are we talking about? Is it audio? Is it video? Is it written? What, what precisely is this right. conference call? Think of it as like a secure civets. Think of it, some people participated by video some people participated by audio civets is a secure uh, video conference exactly just for so, people out there yeah sure it's an internet-based environment that al-qaeda set up as we first this sounds really badass doesn't it yeah <laughs> Like, we use our own teleconference. Give me a system. URL for this because I'd like to check it out. Yeah, that sounds good for show production. Yeah, <laughs> reported. But now we know that some people participated through internet chatting. Some people were on audio. Some people were on video. People could plug in however they wanted. And over the course of this seven-hour conference, people came in and out, including the terrorist leader of Al Qaeda Zawahiri and the new uh, leader of AQAP in Yemen, Waheshi. And uh, they had the big roles and the big messages here. And everyone else sort of chimed in when and where they wanted to. And how did the CIA and the Yemeni? authorities hunt this courier down. Right. So what happened was uh, the, the conference itself was actually secure. Uh, then they took the conference and gave it to this courier who was then disseminating it through less secure places to other people around the al-Qaeda community. When this courier decided to send this out to other people, that's when he made a mistake in his operational security that U.S. intelligence officials seized upon. They caught him sending this to other people. They found him. They picked him up. The Yemenis picked him up with CIA help. And when they found him, he had the whole video in his pocket, uh, along with a treasure trove of information that U.S. and Yemeni intelligence. He had the video in his pocket. So uh, two weeks ago, CNN told us it was a wire they picked up. Intelligence agencies were scouring their databases. Now we find out the CIA found a kid with a thumb drive in his pocket. Officials have been pouring over ever since. And of course, a courier is uh, how they were able to find bin Laden, ultimately. Uh, will this recording itself prove uh, even more significant than, than, than what we know came from it, including the, uh, the, all the embassy closures, the warnings about an right. attack? Our information is that there's a lot of information on this recording. It tells you about their thinking it all, on the call. It was also announced that Waheshi was promoted to general manager of al-Qaeda worldwide. It talks about a new era of attacks 
uh, that, that al-Qaeda will usher in. Uh, so there's a ton of stuff on this recording. The, the imminent yet vague threat that may or may not have passed was only one small portion of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's given U.S. officials and Yemeni officials, for that matter, a lot to pour over. It'll probably take weeks or months to mm-hmm. sort out. Great. So we'll get to keep hearing about treasure troves. Like, I guess they decided uh, they founded Osama bin Laden's compound and been played out. So now we have this new treasure trove that they and they they literally call it a treasure trove. too. Treasure trove. It's a treasure trove. I like treasure trove. Well, speaking of treasure troves, uh, yes. Bradley Manning released quite a treasure trove. So oh, we're going to no talk kidding. about that. But yeah. first, I just want to make note and I'm still kind of collecting information on it. But today, the 86-page opinion, uh, which was declassified by the U.S. intelligence officials yep. today. Huge. This is an opinion that came from the FISA court, explains why the chief judge of the Foreign Intelligence Court ruled that the collection method was unconstitutional by the NSA. Under the program, the NSA for three years diverted large volumes of international data passing through fiber optic cables in the United States into repositories where the material could be stored temporarily for processing and then the selection of foreign communications would be extracted rather than domestic. But in practice, the NSA was able to filter, was not able to filter out communications between Americans. Hmm. Oh, I think the message here is, well, look, we've only had just 56,000 wholly domestic violations. That's not too bad. And no, no, no harm, no foul, right, Chris? Because remember, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. Right. So there's no big deal here. Now, on to Bradley Manning, who does yeah. have something to hide and does have something to worry about. I guess... 35 reasons. I guess, yeah. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, potentially. I mean, could be good, could be bad. Fox. 35 years behind bars. That is the sentence for this man, Bradley Manning, the U.S. soldier, convicted of leaking classified data, one of the biggest leaks in American history. 700,000 classified files and battlefield video and diplomatic cables that were leaked by this 25-year-old low-level intelligence officer who was serving at the time in Iraq. He could have done 90 years. Uh, Prosecutors wanted 60 years. Instead, the judge, Colonel Denise Lynn, sentenced him to 35 years, but under military rules, he could be paroled after serving only one-third of that time. He also gets credit for three and a half years' time already served. Let's turn now to Lise Wheel, former federal prosecutors. You know, Lise, if the government wanted to send a message to uh, other potential leakers out there, the, the Ed Snowdens of the world, Um, When you think about it, not much of a message here. He could be out when he's 33 years old. He's getting a little disappointed, doesn't he? Like, oh, man, we're only going to steal his youth. Now, who really knows what's going to happen, right? Uh, It's it's pretty wild. Uh, Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning, that's today, he was sentenced to 35 years for leaking hundreds of thousands of classified documents to WikiLeaks. Manning, who could have actually been sentenced to 90 years... Pretty much his life. Right. ...stood at attention and showed no emotion as the military judge, Army Colonel Denise Lund, delivered the sentence. As soon as Lind left the bench, Army guards quickly rushed Manning out of the courtroom. They could overhear... You could overhear shouting, We'll keep fighting for you, Bradley, as dozens of Manning supporters, among 45 spectators in the courtroom, they shouted, You're our hero. That short scene, lasting more, no more than two minutes, ended more than three years of legal jousting and a summer-long court-martial that highlighted the growing national debate about government secrecy, which I thought was a poignant point. After all of this, it all came down to two minutes, yep. where he got his sentencing, and then the army just rushed him off. Uh, it's more than 17 times the next longest sentence ever served for providing secret material to the media. 
It's in line with sentences that are generally paid for espionage for the enemy. So he got it. He he got all things considered for people that leak things to the media. He got slammed pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I I think part of it too is Chris. They're they're trying to send a message here, mm-hmm. and I always I always wonder, you know, what's an appropriate message to send to try to scare somebody? Because if you make it too weak or too lenient, then you're not going to send a, a tough message. And so they want to send a message with Bradley Manning. They they want to. Uh, send a message with Snowden. Yeah, I think I don't remember if it was uh, Alexander that said uh, it was some quote from an NSA official who said that you know our big threat now. It might have actually been Hayden said our big threat now are these twenty thirty something uh, crapheads <laughs> that uh, think they have an idea of what uh, American democracy is about and know how to use a computer and they're going to leak our secrets. And this yeah. is the big challenge for the agency. This is what he said. And that these uh, hacker punks think that they're going to be the new patriots by leaking information because they know how to use computers. And I think you might be right. Part of the message here is it's it's one part of message to journalists, just like we've been seeing a lot. But it's also it's, you know, in journalists being WikiLeaks being that's not true journalism. They're not establishment journalism. So leaking things to them is like leaking to the bad guy. Yeah. But you're also sending a message to people who be working inside government institutions saying, we're going to go after you real hard. He got 17 times the last person who got sent its ten- sentence length for the last person who leaked something to the media. Yep. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. And we'll keep, we'll find you. We will crack down and we will get you. And we will make a scene out of it. And you will be in a tiny detention center. And we will steal the rest of your life from you. That's what they're saying here. Now, is he going to get out early? Who knows? Maybe he'll end up accidentally having an a- you know some sort of fatal accident. I mean, anything could happen when he's in there. Yeah, he'll 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 probably you know, gosh, I do you want to make a red book prediction here? All I right, mean, let's I, do it. So what's going to happen? Is it going to be dark? Well, so now I mean, this could be a very long term prediction because do, yeah, thirty five years is thirty five years. Do you th- okay? Well, okay. I think the only thing we could likely predict is if something bad happens to him in the next year or two. You know, you know what I think is going to happen. What I'm going to go really far fetched. Okay, I'm going to go out there. People are going to be like, "Chase, you're crazy." He will be officially presidentially pardoned. Dude, what the hell are you smoking at, at, over there? At the once Obama leaves office. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so you know, when Obama's on his way out the door, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, you know, like I think what uh, Nixon was pardoned by um, Ford, wasn't it? Yep. So I know I'm crazy. I know people think I'm crazy here, but what? I, I got to make a weird prediction, I right? Could, you know, it's funny you say that because I actually had the same, like, what if this this isn't going to happen because it's going to be Hill. I know people think I'm crazy here, and well, I, I don't, honestly don't think it's going to happen, but it's gonna I'm going to be just Hill throw- Dog versus somebody else, and neither one of them are going to do it. <laughs> but if it wasn't Hill Dog, like if we had this monumental, amazing moment in history where the people stood up and like... We're going to finally change things, and we elected somebody in there. That might be the person that does it, but it's not going to be Hill Dog, my friend. It's not yeah. going to be Hill Dog, but I'll write it down. Yeah. Manny will be pardoned by Barry's replacement. I'm going to put the- <laughs> by Barry's replacement. All right, it's in the red book now. Hey, Chase. come on. I'm just having fun here. I, I, have I fun. hope you're right. I hey, hope you're right. I mean, people think I'm crazy, and he's probably going to drop the soap. You know what else we could put in here is uh, Madden will be pardoned when China buys out the rest of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's gonna it's gonna turn into Red Dawn version three. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, Ted Cruz. Yeah, it could be Ted Cruz versus Hill Dog or Rand Paul. Anybody that's uh, trying to push the shutdown of the government, you can pretty much factor them in as a potential candidate for the Republican side. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So, Chase, one thing you always say on the show is we should follow the money. That's you know, honestly, 
If you follow the money and you follow what's going on, you'll right? get the truth. Right? You always get the truth if you follow the money. And this whole situation in Egypt is really something to behold. I mean, we've been following it since the, there were protests in the street and Morsi was uh, brought out of – I mean, we followed all the way lead up S- to that. Snipers taken out ter- – uh, not terrorists, but taken out uh, protesters. And so – Wow. I thought, you know, since we can't, we don't have a clear picture of what's going on, especially from our vantage point, our goal would be to sort of cover how the U.S. is responding to the situation in Egypt. And uh, one thing that we've documented is just this massive waffling on, is it a coup? No, it's not a coup because we haven't determined it's a coup because it's not our interest to make that determination. And then you have other people saying, yes, it is a coup. It turns out there is a couple of people lobbying to make sure that money keeps flowing to Egypt. I guess turns out. It's U.S. companies. The Obama administration could say enough's enough and cut aid to Egypt. But some American companies want to keep that money flowing. Of course. Because they are the ones cashing in. You're buying U.S. equipment from U.S. contractors. The U.S. doesn't cut a check to Egypt. It deposits the aid in an account at the Federal Reserve Bank. That money pays American defense contractors. This is actually an interesting sort of unique relationship we have with Egypt. Uh, so the money is deposited into an account at the Federal Bank, uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which Egypt has access to, and they can make payments on long-term contracts that they have signed with U.S. defense companies. So as long as they're going to buy guns and weapons from a U.S. company, they can use this money that we put in the Federal Reserve account. The U.S. government is a co-signer on all of the contracts, guaranteeing that the payments will be made. So if Egypt aid is suspended, the U.S. government could be responsible for the deals Egypt has made so far. This is according to a Congressional Research Service report. Awesome. To build the weapons and parts for Egypt. That includes $400 million to General Dynamics for tank kits and $2.5 billion to Lockheed for F-16s. Big companies got these contracts in part by sending legions of lobbyists to Capitol Hill. They reminded lawmakers that if the More Boeings money. and Lockheeds can't build weapons for Egypt, all those small-town suppliers of from course. Lima, Ohio to Oxford, Michigan will get buried. Joe with... Company X has made this particular piece of a tank for 20 years, and that's what he does, and he's very good at it. But if I don't give him an order for six months, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen to old Joe and his workforce. Former Congressman Jim Colby used to control the purse strings on Egypt. He heard that pitch year after year, and it worked. The contractors have a vested interest in keeping the process going forward. Colby says the U.S. has put itself in a bind. Cutting the aid won't get the government out of paying off the defense contracts it already signed. It's going to end up costing the taxpayers a lot of money and getting nothing in return. So, Chris, that's pretty amazing. So the aid gets cut off. It's not that simple. Taxpayers lose money. But, I mean, the the numbers you had there were incredible. Lockheed Martin, two and a half billion dollars they have resting on aid continuing to Egypt. What do the companies say to the criticisms that, look, you know, you don't care about U.S. policy or right or wrong. You care about dollars and cents. Yeah. Well, good question. We reached out to Boeing and Lockheed Martin, and they they basically said, look, we are honoring our our contracts in good faith, which they are. These were agreements that the U.S. government signed to to build these parts to send to Egypt. Uh, They also say they don't want to comment on what the U.S. government may or may not do. But, Aaron, bottom line, look, uh, even though only about half of this year's $1.2 billion has been already put into that Egypt account, withholding the other $600 million doesn't really save that money. And in fact, it may end up costing some jobs. 
I, how much do you love this so far? Uh, and so I have. It's linked- always the catch twenty two. Well, you know, somebody in Clovis, New Mexico, or somebody in Sparks, Nevada, is going to lose a job over this. We can't take J- Chris. Listen, we, uh, the economy is we, we, You know, the economy right now is not doing too well, no. and we cannot afford to take jobs away from America. I mean. These tear gas canisters are being made in the USA. Tanks, actually, and, and tanks. And, and supposedly they're tanks. They don't even need. They don't even really use that much. So I guess, what does it say when the U.S. economy? I mean, we just. I mean, we are a nation that is dependent on creating weapons of destruction. I mean, Military really industrial complex. Uh, so all it comes down to. It's that. also right now for Congress. It's of course we're on vacation this week, but it's a push game. Well, that's nice. So most of the money is already out the door. In fact, over half the money is already out the door. If if they can just punt on this issue for a little while, like even like another month or so, all of the money is spent. It's all done. There's nothing they can do that takes the aid issue off the table. Now they can do something about next year. But of course, you can always have some wiggle room in there. I have linked in the show notes the top 10 companies that make money off selling arms to Egypt. Boeing uh, is in here. Raytheon, of course, is in here. Uh, Columbia Group. Columbia Group provides $10.6 million worth of unnamed vehicle systems. Unmanned vehicle systems, I'm sorry, along with uh, technical training. So it sounds like drones. That's wonderful. That's wonderful, really. Uh, yeah. So, the you know, there you go. Uh, we'll see what happens. Also, another interesting thing is another really large lobbying group uh, is uh, APAC, the Israel lobby group. Uh, they also don't want funds cut off. They don't want aid cut off to Egypt. So they're also pushing. Yeah, because they also have a, f- a fiscal, uh, you know, financial investment here. Yeah, and, they, and it's yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah. I told you, Chris. It's all about following the money. When it, it really comes down to it, isn't that disgusting? It, it's though? not about politics. It's, disgusting, it's about money. But you know what? It makes me want to hurl, Chase. Well, once we get to the twenty fourth century, then well, money won't really matter. That'll be nice, except unless you need Latin or Federation credits. Uh, Chase, before we run for today, yeah, I thought maybe we'd get to some feedback. Yeah, we got some great feedback this week. First uh, uh, piece of feedback came in from Penguin, and his be title, a bit message, by the way. Oh, really? I did not know that. And uh, he said, ashamed of the British government. Hi, Chris and Chase. This is the first time I've ever wrote into the Unfilter show, and I'm a monthly supporter, and I love the show. I think it was terrible of the British government to hold David Miranda just because of his connection to Glenn Greenwald. I'm a British citizen, and it shames me to admit that. I think the UK needs to look how it justifies the use of its Terrorism Act, and I seen an interesting article that said, it was just a smokescreen for our police and home office so they could do and get what they want. Certainly seems that way. Uh, keep up the great work and the great show from Penguin via BitMessage. It kind of makes you think that, um, yeah, that it, it sort of is right in your face that all this terrorism stuff is just – it's a smokescreen for them to get the rights that they want and they can bend the rules when they need to. It's kind of – No, I mean, and, and that's the thing, right? Remember – the rules don't apply to them. They apply uh, to everyone else but them. Did I include two emails? Uh, you did. Oh, well, we. Right you also included some information here from Jason. He he gave us a a pretty uh, long informational oh, right, email right, right. about the uh, about the Detroit bankruptcy, and I'll, yeah. and I'll pull some highlights here. Yeah, because we we did talk about you know how possibly you know how the the city of um, city of Detroit was trying to get rid of pensions. Yep, and other things. And one thing he talked about on union pensions, he said during your episode. You seem to imply that the pensions of the auto workers were the ones in trouble because of the bankruptcy. However, it's the pensions of the public sector workers, such as the police, fire, and road workers, which are the ones in danger of being mm. eliminated. And, mm. I, and if I confuse that, I apologize because that's not what my intention was. 
while the UAW will likely use their influence on this fight, they will have nothing to lose at the moment. I don't remember saying anything about the autoworkers, uh, but he also – I think I might have. Yeah, okay. And one thing about Kevin Orr, he's the guy on plan, uh, you know, overseeing this whole thing. Uh, while we'll never know exactly what Kevin Orr's plans were from the moment he was appointed, the problems he is tasked with to clean up are nothing new with Detroit – the last uh, decade, uh, Detroit has been marked with corruption and political infighting to mm. the point where the city council never got much of anything done. If you want to read more about these events, you can start by searching for Kwame Kilpatrick, uh, Detroit's former mayor, who was recently convicted on a variety of charges. <laughs> and he, you know, he goes on, and this is a great, great long email from Jason. We'll have the rest linked in the show notes, right? Yeah, but it's one of those situations where – you wonder why they are building a statue for RoboCop. Right. Because Detroit is a mess right now. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing you also notice about the whole Detroit bankruptcy story, Chris, is, you know, news is always in cycles. Yeah. We haven't heard anything. No, no. Well, it's a very long process, but you're right. right. I, I, hopefully, I hope the local papers are covering it. Yeah. I haven't seen anything really pop up on our radar. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, um, I, I want to give a special shout out to uh, our subreddit this week. Really on point. These guys in the subreddit this week really, I felt like, were nailing it. And so you guys keep it up over the next week since we're taking a week off. I want to I want to point folks that are really jonesing for some extra well, news stories. That's the thing. We may be here once a week, but the Reddit is there 24-7. It's on rocking, and it really and, was rocking and, this week. And that's the best part of the subreddit. Now, Chris... Last week, you know, I'm always ambitious when it comes to predictions. I got the red book right here. And Chris, you're going to go to that page where we talk about Reddit or unfiltered.reddit.com. And there Chris, is, uh, what, was, what was my prediction for last 700 week? 700 new subs. That's right. I, I 700 did, total subs. I, I did, you know, a nice round top yeah, number. Yeah. I said it was impossible. It couldn't be done. You, you're like, Chase, you're, you're smoking. I said you're hurting Chris, yourself. Chris, you're saying, Chase, you're smoking amphetamines. Amphetamines and driving your Mercedes and driving way my too Mercedes. fast. Chris, we hit 709. <laughs> 709. All right, what's your new one? Well, since we're not going to be here technically next week, yeah. I know we'll have a supporter show, but uh, we won't be here next week. My prediction, 737. You're crazy. Actually, yeah, 737 in honor of Boeing. All right. Uh, and, their, and their great contracts with Egypt. That's right. So 737 is my number for next week. All right, guys. Go, in two weeks. Go uh, subscribe to there and help us make an even better show when we're back in two weeks. That's right. Now, All right, Chase. Where can people follow you throughout the week? Maybe they can see what you're up to at PAX. That's right. So you can uh, jump on to uh, my page of uh, connecting with me, chasenunes.com, C-H-A-S-E-N-U-N-E-S. But uh, we'll be doing a lot of PAX coverage through geekgamer.tv. Powskies. Oh, man, it's going to be great. And Chris, by the way, was on the last episode of Geek Gamer Weekly. That's fun. And guess what? Chris was making deer chili. That's right. And I, I named after the, I the like show. That. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> now, Chris, during the course of the week, uh, you do uh, throw out comments and you know quizzes in 140 characters. Wisdom, Chase, over at twitter.com slash Chris LAS. If oh. you've got a question for me, you want to get something real quick, Delicious. And you got a good chance there because uh, 140 characters makes it actually scalable yes now as a reminder we will not be here next week but right. if you want to stay in contact with us jump on our supporter show right to get go some hit exclusive that uh, content button thanks yes. everyone we'll see you right back here in two weeks two weeks